Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G. We are here today with Emily Underhill of Salibi. We're going to learn a little bit more about what that means. It is an acronym. It means something. It was derived from this concept that Emily has, and we are very excited to learn about it. So I hope you all stick around and learn about her story and everything she's doing in the Baton Rouge community. She is moving and grooving and has had a lot of press lately about her amazing, incredible idea she's doing. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about how she got here and where she plans to take this journey that is her business. And before we get started, a big shout out. We are in the Falaya Focus Studio, y'all. Back for week number two. We're excited. Big thanks to Government Taco for making this happen. And without further ado, Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. I was scrolling through Facebook and saw this article and it said vintage or no, it said luxury boutique takes off in Baton Rouge. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, okay, who wrote this article and who wrote this title? Because you got me hooked. You got me in. And so I started reading about it and learned that you're doing something pretty cool here in Baton Rouge, like right in the heart of like the Jefferson corporate area right outside of Bocage. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely a little hidden gym in this city. And what we offer is hidden gyms. So I guess it works. (laughs) (laughs) I like that little play. So what is Salibi? So Salibi is a luxury vintage boutique. Uh, We are an appointment only showroom as of right now, but hopefully in the future, you know, I want to be able to expand to have more of a, you know, public facing space instead of just the appointment only showroom. That's where we're at right now. And my specialty is vintage couture, but really anything cute and vintage that's high quality and sparks joy ends up in that showroom. It is really highly curated. I mean, it has to be something I'd like or I'd wear to even make it in there. And I source everything myself. There's pieces from New York, Miami, London, Italy, all over the place. If there's a place that sells stuff, I'm over there trying to buy it, you know? Okay, so you're sourcing goods from around the globe, basically. Yeah, I'm actually waiting on a package from the Ukraine right now. (laughs) Interesting. How... How did we get here? I mean, how does one wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to shop the world. There's no such thing as location mattering. I'm going to shop the world for for a, sec- a second-hand, second-used, I don't yeah, know what the yeah. technical Pre-love term. Pre-loved, there like it is. Call it. Pre-loved luxury, luxury items and sell and resell them here in Baton Rouge. I mean, how do we get here? What, what kind of a kid were you? Let's start <laughs> it there. It definitely wasn't an overnight journey, but I feel like it did start when I was a kid. Uh, I was always exposed to the world of like secondhand goods and merchandise, whether it was my grandma taking me to the thrift store just to, you know, spend a Sunday morning looking around or, you know, my dad having me help him box up like computer parts that he would repair for eBay and send them off around the country. So I kind of always knew that there was a, a market beyond just the local market and people buying and selling stuff all over the place. And I mean, Even when you see shows like American Pickers, I mean, they're going out to the middle of nowhere states to find the most incredible stuff. And I like to think that's what I do, just make it fashion. Right. And you're going (laughs) to places that, I mean, I've I've never even heard of probably. Next month, I'm taking my camper van to Arkansas for a long weekend of estate sailing up in like Little Rock. So, I mean, like just going different places and making a buying trip out of it. 
you know, that's where you find the interesting things. So how do you, I mean, how do you hear about an estate <laughs> sale just weekend in Little Rock? Oh, there's websites for that. Literally, uh, estatesales.net is probably what you want to look at. And that's uh, a big secret Wait, I'm giving thing? out. Literally, there's a website for it. There's a website for everything. I know there's <laughs> a website for everything, but like estatesales.net, like I yeah, would it's never. It's simple. It's like, oh, where do you go to find estate sales? Uh, estatesales.net. Just, that's it. <laughs> Interesting. And so you just found like a, a string of them running through Little Rock and you're like, let's go make a business trip out I of mean, this? I mean, they have, I haven't even looked to see if there's any going on, but I mean, I assume there will be there every weekend in every city. So why Little part. Rock? There's a lot of retirees there and you know, the older you are, the further back your closet will go. So that's kind of my thinking with that. Like, you know, the stuff that would have been in my grandmother's closet, that type of stuff is what I try to go for. Like grandma chic. Grandma chic. Okay, look. Like, I've is, found I'm, some I'm... incredible pieces in the closets of grandmothers, you know? I mean, like... <laughs> well, they 19, keep everything, right? 1950s ball gowns made out of silk and just, just stunning things. Yeah, yeah. If you're a hoarder for clothing and you started buying nice women's wear in the 40s, 50s, like, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, do you remember a point in your life where, like, you knew you wanted to do this with clothes specifically? Like, Yeah, you... I mean... I'd been collecting vintage fashion for ages because I've always loved and appreciated the the art of dressing and the art of the clothing. And, you know, growing up, especially as a high schooler, like I couldn't afford to go down to New Orleans and march in the Saks Fifth Avenue and go on a designer shopping spree. But, you know, I'd find little pieces here and there online or, you know, in, in a consignment shop, just random places where you come across it. And I'd get those little bits of luxury in it you know, kind of made me feel a little elevated with a pep in my step. And it's beautiful, old quality pieces. And, you know, maybe it would be a Versace silk scarf I found in like a thrift store in New Zealand for $5. And, you know, you go home and you realize, oh, well, this is really worth like $500. And I got it for such a deal. Like it feel little things like that. So I'd been collecting for a while. And, then whenever COVID happened, I'd actually been working as a shopping guide on board cruise ships. So, you know, I'd How do you land that? Hold on, hold on. Wait, a, a shopping guide? guide? That's a thing? Yeah, uh, that was my reaction when I first heard about a the shopping, job, too. A shopping like, guide on a cruise ship. Yeah, sickest job I ever had. Benefits were great. I mean, free housing, free food. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't don't clean there was a maid that would come make like one of the cabin stewards would come make my bed every every single day i got free dry cleaning didn't have to do my own laundry uh and every every day you're waking up somewhere new and mostly i was i was taking people shopping so i mean i had an absolute blast and a half wait they did their laundry for you did did your laundry well, well that, that was only because i had like like three stripe officer status so that's, so that's kind of officer privilege how do you get <laughs> Hold on. How do you get three-stripe officer status? Oh, because I was the head of department. I mean, granted, I was a department of one, but still, I was a department head. So, <laughs> you know, managing yourself can be very can be hard. Very challenging. Yeah, you should have seen my, like, you know, quarterly meetings with myself standing in the my bathroom looking in the mirror like, Emily, look at these numbers. We can do better. <laughs> so, all right. So you're you're a... You're a crew of one, a department of one. You got your three stripes. How, how did you get the job? Like, how did you hear about the job? I heard about this job right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So, so um, 
in between, in between my, my semesters, semesters of going to fashion students in New York, New York, I came home one summer and managed to find a fashion internship here in Baton Rouge, which I was not anticipating finding. Wait a, f- so a fashion internship in Baton Rouge. So you came from fashion school in New York. Yes. To Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for a fashion internship. Yes. Most people would see that as a step backwards. <laughs> Scratch that. Most people would see it like taking a hike backwards, not even just a single step. Well, for me, it was important to come back home because the next year I had a really big move in my life planned. I was going to go do a year studying international fashion business at a school in Italy. So before I left, I wanted to spend a few months at home and like being with my family because I wasn't going to be able to come home as much once right. I was overseas. Yeah, those, was, those flights are long, I hear. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I wanted to enjoy my time there without worrying about coming back. I even missed a cousin's wedding because I was like, I'm not coming back to the U.S. I'm in Europe. Sorry. Like, get married bring some it, other bring time. Bring it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I, I came home for that summer and I found an internship with uh, this wonderful woman named Jennifer, and she was also in the process of uh, like having an online boutique and a little private showroom. And funny enough, it's the exact same place where I had mine. Hers was just down the hall. So I guess we both kind of got ended up getting our start in the same place. But Wait, wh- y- y'all share a building today? No, no, she's no longer there. Okay. Um, I'm not too sure like what she's, she's a mother now to a beautiful, beautiful child. I think maybe twins, maybe. That's a full-time but, job. Yes. Yeah, so she's still working, just uh, not not doing what um, – I don't think she has her, like, online store anymore. She's focusing on motherhood, I think. But we are in the um, – like, I'm in the building that she used to be in where she okay. got her start, though. So it's interesting how that came full circle. Yeah. But that summer, one of her friends came in, and we got to chatting, and she's like, oh, well, you're into fashion. You like to travel here's my card. Like I used to be a shopping guide. And if you're interested in that, you know, she told me what it entails, like living on a cruise ship, going all these places, helping people buy diamonds and watches and leather jackets and Italian gold, like all these fun things. Very high end goods. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was like, yeah, okay. Like I'm sure (laughs) this is a job. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You you got me. That's a good one. Yeah. uh, Two years later, I, held on to her business card, called her up and was like, hey, so I finished college and I just really feel like sitting in a cubicle at Macy's being an entry level buyer is not the job that I want. Uh, tell me more about the shopping guide thing. And I ended up like going through their whole training and recruitment process. And first ship I sailed on was with Holland America later that fall after graduation. So. And so they only have one person on the whole ship to help yes. with it. One on. person per cruise ship, and pretty much all cruise lines have a shopping guide. Okay. Like, is it a is it a big thing? Like, do a lot of people use the shopping guide? Yes. yes. So you were like, it was like a full time gig. Oh, you yes. weren't like sitting around enjoying no, the balcony. No, no. You were like, I'm working hardcore. I'm doing seminars, going over all our different ports of call, what they're known for, where the best place to buy, what they're known for is, and giving like a bit of history about these places, like. It, it really was a lot doing desk hours. And then I would bring people shopping back on board. Cause like if you're in Nassau and you just bought a $20,000 diamond ring, you don't want to be walking around with it while you're yeah. going to senior frogs, get a margarita, leave it on the table. Like, no, I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> you'd, you'd want to walk around anywhere with that except yeah, from so the store to the boat. I, that was one of my jobs. I guess that was the more like, I thought it was like the more dangerous part of my job <laughs> would be walking back through the streets of yeah. whatever port we were in to the ship carrying like tens of thousands of dollars worth of other people's shopping. And like sometimes, you know, if if I was feeling a little like 
sketched out because I feel like some of these people in the port, once they got to see me a lot, they knew me. They're like, oh, she's the diamond girl. So I'd have to get the security from one of the diamond stores to like escort me back to the port entry because I'd have like, you know, $100,000 worth of jewelry in my backpack. <laughs> For the, for the customers. I wish it was mine. <laughs> right. That is incredible. Like, A, I didn't know that existed. And B, it sounds like like you became yeah. the person for the cruise line to mm. just go around shopping with these people. I mean, A, how did you get out? <laughs> <laughs> COVID. How, how'd they let you? Oh, really? Yeah, well, so you were doing cruise, this all the way up until COVID? Yeah, yeah. I was still, I was on a Disney cruise ship. I was working as a shopping guide on the Disney Dream whenever COVID hit. And initially it was just supposed to be a two-week pause. And my managers were like, stay on board it's only for two weeks and I was like ah, I'm just gonna like bop on over to Louisiana and you know if we're sailing again in two weeks I'll fly back and I'm so happy I got off that ship when I did or I would have been one of those poor souls who was like stuck out at sea just floating around for like four or five months because no countries would let them in you know so where where was the where was the boat docked? I was sailing out of Fort Lauderdale at the okay. time so you flew back from Fort Lauderdale to yeah. Louisiana I did have some friends, though, who were not as lucky as me, um, also, like, American citizens working on cruise ships, and she, she was, was, like, like a, a former Miss Iowa, you know, like, an American beauty queen, American to the core, and she got stuck out at sea for months and outside the port of Los Angeles, and she kept trying to come in, and they're like, nope, sorry, you're a seafarer first, American second, and so she was stuck at sea for, like, three or four months. You, the United States wouldn't even let her in, because they are like, So is she Ooh, back like, now? Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, this was in 2020. But because of COVID, I just ended up, like, not going back to sea. And I was like, well, I need to do something. I don't know when the cruise industry is going to pick up again. So I took a little sabbatical, um, built out a camper van with one of my cruise ship coworkers, like my best friend who I met on cruise ships. We drove around America for six months, going to some national parks. And then when I got back, I was like, okay, now what again? Like, <laughs> All right, that's done. Six yeah, six months later, yeah. that's done. And so I had kind of realized while I was on the road, like I wanted to do something with vintage and I wanted to do something working for myself. And I'd started buying up like costume jewelry because that's what I could fit in the van. I couldn't fit a lot of clothes in a camper what's, van. Sorry, what's what's costume jewelry for those that may not be aware? Oh, um, not fine jewelry. So not okay. sterling silver or not 14 karat, just costume jewelry. So like stuff that'd be worn as costumes no, on sets. No, no, like this this would be considered costume jewelry because I mean it's a brooch and it's really nice, but it's not fine jewelry. You know, if this was all okay. gold, this would be like a fifteen thousand dollar brooch or something. You know. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So just nice jewelry. So like a that's step not a step real. down from the top. Yeah, but still okay. really nice. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. So six months. A. How did you learn how to do a how to redo a camper van? Let's start there. YouTube. <laughs> I love that answer. I love that. So you just watch YouTube videos and y'all yeah. completely just renovated this camper? I mean, to be fair, my dad did all the engine stuff. But I mean, we fitted out the inside with a four-poster memory foam bed and like a mirror on the ceiling, a sink with plumbing and water that works, and a little mini fridge with enough room for a six-pack. So, I mean, we that, did all right. What more do you need? <laughs> a six-pack of, uh, what was it, White Claws, you said? Yeah, yeah, six-pack of Claws. So is it was it a drivable camper or was this a pull behind? Oh no, it was a 1985 Dodge Ram van. Oh, so it was a van life. Oh yeah, van life camper. Yeah. Okay, that so kind of camper van. Vintage clothing and vintage vans. Oh yes, it's very staunch van as well. Her full name is Ivana Van Dutch. Ivana. I'd be remiss if I did not give her her full name. <laughs> so, well, I mean, what made you decide to go into a camper van? 
I was I just mean, restless. Like I'd been on a cruise ship. But like that's for not my weeks. first thought. My first thought is not let's go buy a camper van, rebuild it, and drive around the country for six months. I guess I just think differently. <laughs> oh, yes. And that's perfectly, we, that's awesome. My friend and I, we both worked on the cruise ships for years. So then being like kind of kicked back, we were both at our childhood homes again, both living with our parents again, pulling out our hair, going crazy. And we're like, we have got to do something. Like, we couldn't travel internationally, so we're like, okay, let's just go explore America. And we didn't go to any of the big cities, because, like, if you remember in 2020, it was a right. little turbulent. You couldn't go like, any into anywhere. No, no. Like, we even got kicked out of New Mexico, because they went on lockdown while we were in the state. And even just trying to stay at a truck stop to, like, camp out and sleep overnight, they were like, no, you have to keep moving. Like, unless you're a working trucker, you can't stay here. Like, get out of New Mexico. We were like... Yes, sir, Mr. Officer. <laughs> Wait, so they like came up to your no, van in a parking lot and like said, hey, no, the Emily, police, get out of yeah, here. They were like, you can't be in New Mexico right now <laughs> with our like Louisiana plates. I mean, we were very obviously not Ah, uh, So you didn't do the whole plate swap at the border. Where was I supposed to get New Mexico plates? <laughs> if you have a person for that, I mean, give me their number. We'll talk the after. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you get essentially banished from New Mexico and you can just continue your journey. Like, were mm -hmm. you also sourcing goods at this time? Like, would you make yeah, stops yeah. or was it a pure? If we saw like thrift stores and any little places we were in or estate sales. I mean, we were like American pickers, but make it fashion and throw in some hiking and national parks. But like, we were just enjoying our time and staying in all these tiny little small places, trying to spend our money locally. Cause I mean, Everyone was struggling then, so if we could give our money to like some local towns that are missing out on the tourism dollars, like we were happy to do that. Yeah, I mean that you know, was like, the one of the first things to go, especially for Baton Rouge. Whenever they shut down the ports and they shut everybody down from coming in for mm -hmm. tourism, like we got hit hard with that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone. Yeah, it wasn't just it wasn't just us, but mm -hmm. so it's great that you all were supporting the local communities in the area. So your six months ended, you come back and you're like, well. Got to park the van and do something here, or was it? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, okay, you know, I had this six-month soul-searching journey. I did a lot of reflecting on, like, what I want out of life and where I want to be in life. And I was like, yeah, you know, I want to work for myself. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't like that. I don't vibe with that. I don't know, like, maybe it's because I'm a Sagittarius. I'm just very free-spirited and want to do what I want to do. I was like, I think I have the motivation and the discipline to at least try. Like, I know being an entrepreneur isn't for everyone, but I figured I'd give it a go in a, like, very serious way, you know, more so than just being a kid, like, you know, selling, like, little pencil grips for your classmates. Or, yeah. Well, I mean, like, and, and growing yeah. up with a with a dad that was doing something similar, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, he had a little side hustle, and I was right. like, how do I turn a side hustle into my main hustle? I think that's like every entrepreneur with a side hustle's main question. <laughs> How do I turn this hob expensive hobby yes. into something that's profitable? I mean, luckily, I was in a place with the pandemic where I had the free time. I, I had the resources because, I mean, you know, no one was going out and spending money. Like, you weren't going out to eat. You weren't really traveling. So I was like, okay, like, I have, I have an investment. I have my little nest egg. And I had the time, so I just did everything from scratch. I didn't really outsource anything to begin with, but, you know, I spent weeks on YouTube watching videos of, like, how to file for your LLC and how to start a business and, you know, doing, like, all these small business incubator programs with the SBA. I mean, like, I really 
got you got deep it. oh yeah deep 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 but i mean there's resources out there if you look for them so like you went through the whole sba like doing like ppp or anything like that eidl uh i wasn't because like i hadn't been in business before covid mm -hmm. i wasn't eligible for like any of those kinds of like resources for Salibi because it was like if you're if you had a business before COVID, they'd help you. But if you're starting a business during COVID, it's like, that's on you. So, <laughs> that's your dumb idea. You yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Because, you know, they like base it off your earnings. And I was like, well, Salibi's brand new. Salibi has no earnings. So. I can show you potential earnings. Yeah, I can show you some make-believe numbers, what I want to do. But I, yeah, I just had the time to do it. And I think that was really the saving grace. If it would have been any other point in time, I don't think I could have had the time to make it work. But... It has been a slow process. Technically, I was officially incorporated like February something of last year. So I am coming up on my one year anniversary. But my doors for sales have only really been open, I want to say since October was when we had our first like of we're available to the public type thing. It was a pop up at the Pink Elephant Antiques. I know exactly where yes. that is. Love it there. They have been so good to me. And they were the first ones who kind of gave me a platform outside of my showroom to go do this pop-up and get involved with the community. And after that, I was kind of hooked. And I try to do at least one pop-up a month. I have one coming up this Saturday, actually, with local pop-up at Electric Depot. So that'll be my first Baton Rouge pop-up of the year. You see me? I'm Love bringing it. lots of cute Valentines and Mardi Gras clothes. So that's what today's the twenty fifth. That's the twenty twenty ninth. Twenty ninth, yeah. It's Friday. Yeah, yeah. It's a, or no Saturday. Twenty ninth. Saturday yes. is yeah. Saturday's the twenty ninth. Yes. Yes. I had to think. It was like thirty first is Monday. I was like, that's what I, I said. That's my benchmark. Okay. So you did you did your local pop ups at the Pink Elephant, and then you've got like, how did you decide to go into a brick and mortar store when everything is going digital? So for me, I am actually embarrassing moment here, I guess, but I'm going to not be embarrassed about it. We're going to normalize Don't it. Don't be embarrassed still, about anything. I still live at home. There's nothing wrong with, with my that. parents. Yeah. So luckily for me, since I do still live at home, um, I mean, it's nice because I save a lot on bills. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> let's let's dive into this because living at home with your parents as an entrepreneur and just getting your business started is not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination no. if anything it's the wise move to do you're saving on rent you're saving on your utilities more times than not your parents are more than happy to feed you dinner because they're like we've got to i mean depending on your parents some parents might be like why are you still here other parents like i know my parents if i was like hey mom we're gonna come back and live me and my wife and the kid, we're going to come back and live for a year. They'd be like, okay, great. We love it. You know, it's, yeah. it's fan We'd love to have you back in the house. So if you're an entrepreneur getting your feet off the ground, living with your parents is probably one of the smarter moves to make because that is saving your fixed costs per month. And if you don't know what fixed costs are, hit me up. Let's chat. Yeah. So you're living at your home. You're living at your parents' home wisely. You're saving those. You're saving that cash. I mean, oh yeah, saving rent. for a down payment, like all the money that you pay per month in rent. I'm like, ooh, now nah, I can just save that, save that till I can buy a place. That's what I was about to say, but not <laughs> for what everyone else is thinking of saving money for a down payment on a home. You're saving money for a down payment on like a building. Yeah, ideally, I mean, my dream property would be one like multi level where I could live on top and have my like showroom on the bottom. You know, like a thirty second commute to work. That'd be cool. I think. I mean, we're in a a um a real estate app studio so i think Poli can probably help you out with that yeah yeah like i like the um kind of downtown properties you know how they have a lot of law offices that look like houses 
I think they originated as houses. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's what I would like—a little, little multi-level thing. Where something, I could have a I mean, something on, on something on government that's within like a commercial zoning, but it's also like you can live there. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, split level or like a duplex kind of situation. I think that's a great idea. But I, I that's what I would like because I do like my showroom to feel really cozy and and home like. I want people to feel like they're home when they're there. I love that. I wouldn't want like a very like sleek, modern like. I like that's not, your, that's little, not your image. No, I want it to be like cozy and you know, like like your grandma. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're you're not you're not selling 2022 items. You're selling you know your vintage items. Mm-hmm. Your I vintage feel like they need to items. be in a little vintage environment. Absolutely, more at home there. I don't want to yes. scare the clothes. <laughs> yeah, and then you can you know set it up as a as a business and have the business pay that business rent, file it under your Schedule E as your personal tax return, and get some great tax savings. Right. So. But you're not you're so you're in the process of saving up right now. So when did you open your brick and mortar store? I've had the showroom since I want to say March or April, but I did have to do a full renovation on it, like paint it, redo the floor, all of that stuff to get it showroom ready. And I've been open for private appointments since um, yeah since October. So, so before that, it was just more of a private workshop for me, and I still do use it as a workshop and a showroom. So I keep you know, all my tools there for mending and fixing things because all the pieces I do sell in my showroom, they're all professionally clean, mended, sanitized, so everything's ready to wear straight off the rack. I really pride myself in the fact that I don't sell project pieces. Like everything's ready to wear. Right. Like I've been, so I've been, since I heard about you, I've been following you on social media, and that's what I've been seeing is you posting hey, fixing this item, working on this, which is excellent content, that documentation over creation. Yeah. Like you're documenting your process and putting it out there for the world to see, which is incredible. And it's also showing the people, okay, she not only knows the items and the pieces, she knows how to fix them Mm -hmm. and bring them back up to standard. I think that's kind of what makes people appreciate it a bit more because it's not just like, I'm finding these things and they're already in perfect condition and all I'm doing is putting it on a hanger with a tag that says Salibi. I mean, you have to remember with vintage, these things have lived a long life and, you know, think about all the like bumps and bruises that you've gotten along your life and clothes are no different. So yeah, I've, I have one piece that I'm working on right now. It, it already sold, but I'm still in the process of um, mending it. It was a beautiful like early 90s Chanel suit with these white lapels on it. And the previous owner, chain smoker. Like, to the level where if you went in their house, there probably would have been like an eighth an inch of nicotine just baked onto their walls. So these lapels on this Chanel suit were yellow. Not not this yellow, but I mean. <laughs> I'm really close. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you have like a relative that's been chain smoking since they were 14, I mean, think of what their teeth probably, that's, that's it. Yeah. You know, just not very nice. And. The time it has taken me to get these pieces of trim back to white in weeks. And, you know, getting them removed from the suit, doing that really carefully because they were stitched on and they're going to have to be restitched on once they're done being clean. But, you know, it's like a labor of love that goes into a lot of these pieces. But I'm happy to do it because they are things that need to be appreciated and shouldn't just be, like, forgotten about. And a lot of people... I feel like with the age of fast fashion, see clothing as disposable, so they're not really up to speed on how to do their own mending or even knowing what can and can't be fixed. And 
that's something that I kind of want to like bring back and make people value more is taking care of your clothes and knowing how to fix them and mend them or at least knowing what can be done and getting investing really in quality pieces so you're not just you know throwing things out buying cheap made in China whatever's like every few weeks because they fall apart like three times in the washer yeah I mean it goes to prove the brands in and of themselves but the fact that you're taking these pieces that are for the 90s is now 30 years old yeah if you're born in the 90s you're coming up on your 30s remember that um so for the for those pieces in the 90s and they've made it 30 years mm-hmm. i mean i've got some jeans that may make it a year you know <laughs> like yeah you just it's all worn out and it's all just worn to nothing and, whereas these items mm-hmm. are like you're giving them a second life yeah and you just don't see that kind of quality anymore but my thinking is like if i find this piece and it's you know, 50 years old and still in good condition, if you take care of it, there's no reason it shouldn't last another 50 years. Yeah. And they just don't make anything to that same production standard because now instead of selling quality pieces for a higher price that they deserve, they it's all, it's all about turn and how many things you can sell and how quickly. And, you know, that happens when they price it really cheap and 70% off. And you see that in the store and your brain just starts like oh, 70% off. And suddenly you're buying stuff that if it was full price or, you know, you would never even consider getting. And like the, the research behind this as well, just the way that we've changed our consumption patterns in recent years, like compared to what our grandparents were doing, the size of closets and the quantity of pieces in them is more than doubled. Like, if you think about it, back in the day, people took such good care of their clothing because it was expensive. It was hard to make, you know? Maybe back in the day, if you were a businessman, you had, like, or, you know, like, worked in business, you had two suits, one pair of jeans for the weekend, a couple tops, a good pair of shoes, and, like, a knock-around pair of shoes to mow the lawn in, and, like, that's your, your wardrobe, you know? And today, just because... Like the clothes are so cheap and so easy to get and the the media and advertising and all these brands and fast fashion companies keep pushing this trend cycle that gets faster and faster and faster. It has us consuming at a rate that has never been seen before. And I think that's a problem in society that needs to be addressed. And I think one of the ways that we can address that is just by making more conscious choices when it comes to our wardrobe. So only really buying the things that you need that have a place in your wardrobe and thinking about that when it's on the rack. Like, do I need it or am I buying it because it's cheap and on sale and super trendy right now? And, you know, like, do I need to throw this shirt out because it has a rip in the armpit or can I bring it to the seamstress and get it sewn up for like five or ten bucks? So it's about making those conscious choices and then also when you can, Shopping secondhand. And just because you're shopping secondhand doesn't mean you have to give up style either. Yeah. I mean, it's the same reason you said you're either having people that were fashionable that no longer can fit in it mm-hmm. or their grandparents are saying, you know, I'm not going to wear this again. Give it to somebody who can enjoy it. It's from a time when I was younger and I enjoyed this type of fashion. It's nothing by no means. Is there anything, you know, I think that secondhand shopping for some people is like, oh, I don't want a secondhand shop, but it's like, it's very sustainable to secondhand shop and you get some really good items. Like they've got a big national brand that's doing a great marketing job of that. What is it? Um, I'm sure you know what it's called. Uh, the real, real, that one. Yes. Yes, That one. 
Yeah, yeah, they are publicly traded, and they they haven't been doing too hot lately, but. <laughs> But it's like it's becoming yeah. a thing. Like it there, is. it's it's, it it's starting is. to get talked about more. The secondhand fashion market is supposed to grow like tenfold in the next ten years. It is going to be a giant, and I truly believe that shopping secondhand, shopping pre-loved, is going to be the future of fashion, because with all the problems in the global supply chain and you know all these labor issues coming to light like you know the women and children who are working in these factories overseas making these items cuz a lot of stuff's made in factories but most clothes are still made by hand yeah so you know you see a shirt being sold for $5 how much of that do you think's actually going to the person who sat there and made it well and another thing you know? with supply shortages right mm -hmm. with people having a very difficult time to get their hands on anything because things are locked up in ports they're just not making it here whatever the reason may be having your secondhand shopping being doing it locally buying some even better and like it's even better because it's here it's in store you're ready to get it you don't have to wait for it to come across the ships you don't have to worry about oh is it not going to be here if i ordered online like you can go in the store yes. and get something that's local right outside your and you're going to be able to find so many of the same brands you love. Like, I'm in the thrift stores all the time digging through the racks. They have your Talbots. They have your White House Black Market. They have your Urban Outfitters. Hell, they even have Shein. If you want to get those super trendy Shein clothes but not actually get them from China and, like, support the fast fashion industry, that stuff is already on the secondhand shelves. You know, it's not just old clothes there. It's new clothes, too. They have Polo Ralph Lauren. They have Michael Kors bags, like coach bag. I got a coach bag at a thrift store the other day for like $40. Beautiful white leather coach bag, $40. You don't even need to go to the outlet mall. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that some people may have like a stigma in their head against mm -hmm. it. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to buy secondhand. For whatever, for whatever reason, it's like, well, why they, if it's in good condition and it was taken properly care, good care of, someone gave this to whatever secondhand store or is mm. selling it through it on consignment for a reason because they no longer have a purpose for it, but they know it still has purpose. Exactly. And, you know, it, you're saving money, you're shopping sustainably. And also one of my favorite things about shopping secondhand and thrifting is you're not looking at one of 12 of the same items hanging on a rack. You're looking at basically a one of one. Like it's not currently being sold in mass in the stores around you. So a lot of times the outfits you put together with secondhand finds are very unique. And someone's going to be like, oh, wow, like, I love that top. Where do you get it? And be like, oh, it's thrifted. Or like, oh, it's vintage. Sorry. You can't it's Salibi. It. Yeah. It's, <laughs> like, I mean, and also one of my favorite things about shopping secondhand and wearing these pre-loved clothes is you can feel the energy of the person who wore it before you. And you know, like as a woman, this suit I have on right now, this is pre-loved and it's incredible. And I put it on and I just imagine like, I wonder what the woman who wore this before me, like what did she do in this suit? What did she accomplish? Where did she go? It's like, it has energy and I believe that, you know? That would be incredible if you could capture that. Yeah. If you could capture the story behind the articles of clothing you're buying, like I'm, you might be able to do it if you were going to your estate sales mm -hmm. or something. If you're able to talk to somebody who is involved yeah. in it, you could learn a little bit more about the history of it and then even like write up a little story mm -hmm. and attach it to the card, to the tag of the item. So when someone looks at it, they're not just looking at, 
okay, this brand, you know, mm -hmm. this nice brand, this nice piece of clothing. No, we're looking at, you know, Susie Q, and here's her life story about what she did in this outfit. Yeah. Giving the tangible items a me more meaning than just putting them on our body. It's, wow, this person did X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. in this. Like, that's incredible. And even if you don't know for sure, you can imagine. And I feel like that's half the <laughs> Build fun. Build the narrative. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, the lady who owned this suit, I mean, she was a world traveler. She must have been, like, going to the fanciest parties at the nightclubs in Milan. Like, maybe she was even Princess Versace herself. I don't know. <laughs> so how do you... And whoever gets this after me, they'll be ready to go on a podcast because it'll be infused with that energy already. <laughs> <laughs> they'll have... Just, it was, they just feel it, you know? They put it on and go, ooh. Yeah. This is pot. This is vodcast. Worthy. Sometimes you it happens. Have you ever put on a suit and you just feel so dapper that you're like, I could, I could take over the world right now. I do. You know that feeling. <clears throat> I have one of the suits in my closet. Mm -hmm. But that's that's kind of what this is. That's what happens with vintage fashion. You put it on, you feel that energy. The person who had it before you, and you're like, oh wow, like this is something, and I could do something. It's got it's got a character to it. Mm -hmm. Mine mine's a white linen suit. It's I put fun. it on, I feel great. It's got big big energy. Absolutely. So how do you go from New York fashion school and say, I don't want to go back after you get off your COVID and after you go and do your tour. Like if you're, I feel like if you get into that culture in New York fashion, you'd be like, let's just stay here. But like you stayed in Baton Rouge, you built your business in Baton Rouge. You didn't say, Hey mom, dad, I'm going to go to New York or I'm going to go where I know. And you said, I want to stay here in Baton Rouge. What kind of made you stay here for that? Well, you know, Baton Rouge at the end of the day is where I was raised and what raised me. And I think it's a great place to raise a business, too. And, you know, eventually I do want to scale. I would love to have a showroom in New Orleans, Miami, New York, London. Like, I want to I want to be a giant in the vintage fashion industry. But for now, I love having my home in Baton Rouge. And I do think it's a great place to start a business. It's a very big small community with supporting locals and very down to earth as well. I feel like there's really not a whole lot of hoops to jump through to make it here in Baton Rouge. If you just put in the time and energy and are authentic to yourself and with your business, people here recognize that and they respect it. And I think it's a lot easier for that kind of like energy to be seen and received here in Baton Rouge than it is in New York, where people are moving so fast, like they don't have time to pay attention to you. It's true. They just got to get from point A to point and B. Once you are kind of like involved in that scene in New York, I feel like you can come and go. And once you're back in there, it's like you never missed a beat. And when you leave, it's like nice and relaxing. But I mean, while we were sitting here waiting for this to start, I got an email inviting me to a fashion show and like next month for New York Fashion Week. So I mean, I may be in Baton Rouge, but that doesn't mean. I don't still have my pulse on what's going on up there. Yeah, I mean you have to, right? Uh, that, you have yeah, to. You have to know what's happening. <laughs> I gotta know what's happening everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's like hey. a that's a full time gig in mm -hmm. and of itself is just being aware of the trends and what you yes. got to look for. Yes, because especially with trends, what you may not know if you don't keep up with fashion is that trends are cyclical. So, you know, give it 20, 30 years and whatever was in style back then is going to start being drawn for inspiration for what's going on now. So right now we have a huge like Y2K fashion movement with, uh, you know, people doing like a little 90s, little early 2000s. Think of like all the early 2000s pop stars, like the low rise jeans and like little butterfly tops. I mean, 
even just the vibe of that that's coming back right now. So even like with with the style of wearing vintage, it still helps to keep up with the current trends because it's like, okay, well, if Y2K is popular right now, I'll go and find some original early 2000s pieces. So you can do Y2K the real way with real Y2K clothes instead of going and buy like some cheap knockoff of the trend somewhere else. And a lot of times, I mean, it, it costs the same. Yeah. And you're able to find it and you know it's original, right? You know it's mm-hmm. not a reproduction. Yeah, yeah. So keeping up with current trends still affects the vintage market. Like, for example, Gucci recently has been re-releasing a new collection of handbags using very old design motifs. It's a bag with bamboo handles. And they were doing that back in, I want to say, I think they've done it a few times, but I know they were definitely doing it, uh, some of these bamboo handle bags, I want to say like in the, the 90s. Yes, in the 90s, because I know Princess Diana was photographed like carrying her little bamboo handle bag around. Very cute. But they brought that back recently. So I was like, okay, well, instead of, you know, looking at these new bamboo handle bags for over like $1,500, $2,000, depending on the bag, I'll just go look at the vintage ones and buy up a couple of them before people realize that, ooh, bamboo handle bags are the new it thing. <laughs> coming, and I'm going to be like, coming back. I already have like three of them in my in my inventory of the original ones. Right, you know? of, the, of, the, of the original ones the that OG are hard to get. OG bamboo bags. Yeah, so I mean, you could go out and buy a new one or I mean, you could get a vintage one and it's the exact same look, exact same trend. So even like the, the brands look back to their own past for inspiration. So I like to get those original pieces that they get re-inspired from. Yeah, I love that. So what is your experience from the consumer side? When a customer walks through Salibi, what are they going to expect? When you shop Well, they have to schedule an appointment. Yes, yes. To come to the showroom, you do need to schedule an appointment in advance because it is just me, and I'm not always there. You know, sometimes I'm out running errands and... You know, just just being a business owner. You're not always chained to your desk. Uh, Sometimes I work from home if I don't have any showroom appointments. But you got to make an appointment. And when you come in, it is like walking into... I I like to say it's like walking into your grandma's living room. Because, I mean, I do have the vintage furniture in there, all the gold Baroque stuff. It's painted that really light pink color that, like, all of grandma's houses used to be pink and, like, the pink bathroom. And... You just get to look and have fun. Like, there are some really neat pieces buried in my racks. I have, you know, $35 silk blouses mixed in with $3,500 dresses. So there's a little bit of everything for everyone. And if we don't have something you're looking for, like, I can find it. <laughs> yeah, you know where to you know where to look mm-hmm. for it. Oh, I have my people. Yes, I have great, <laughs> great suppliers. You have your that, people. I love that. I have that. great suppliers that I work with, and I have a great eye for things. So, like, if I can't find it, I can find someone who can find it. So, and how do you, like, do you use people when you're looking at items across the globe, or do you actually kind of go there firsthand? And- a bit of both. I mean, I am fortunate enough to be a dual citizen, so with England. So during the COVID lockdowns, I was able to fly to England and get into England and do some vintage shopping over there for a couple weeks. So I have to ask how you got dual citizenship for England and U.S. Uh, uh, Half my family is British. My dad just like moved to Louisiana to work in oil and gas. Makes sense. Yep. (laughs) We're we're good at that. So dual citizenship, you're able to go to and from. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I do like shopping in person when I can. One place I really want to go shopping internationally is Japan. I've heard their secondhand designer stores are insane because 
they like having like really new, really clean stuff. So it'll have like one little scratch and like get rid of it. They have markets where they just have bins and bins and bins lining an entire market hall of like old Louis Vuitton bags and stuff. And I think like just because it has one blemish in it. Well, I mean, yeah. And some of them are old. Like, you know, the leather handles will be like dirty and they're old. Yeah. And all it takes is like, like a stuff. little a little bit of love and attention. You can make it brand new. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you can get the leather replaced on them. Or some people like the kind of patined leather where it looks more like a like a brown, like chestnutty instead of like really white and new. And that it happens over time. Like the leather ages, it gets a little shading. But yeah, I mean that's all part of the part of the process mm-hmm. of the aging. Yeah, they have good watches in Japan. Like, they just have a lot of really good used luxury items coming out of Japan. But I'd like to go there in person so I don't have to pay $30 shipping every time I order something from Japan. <laughs> but that's I'm, it? It's only 30 Yeah, yeah. I mean, for little things. I'm waiting on some watch links okay. to come in from Japan for a customer I have who got a lovely vintage Gucci watch from me. But she needed some extra links. And the only place in the world I could find extra links for this very specific vintage Gucci watch was in Japan. So, yeah, $30 shipping, and I don't think it comes in until, like, a week or two from now. <laughs> and I've already been waiting a week. So, it, Well, that's I would say that's up to par with what I've heard of the of the shipping and the dilemma that's happening from getting stuff overseas to here. Mm-hmm. So do you also play as a, a designer or a, a stylist for individuals? Yes. Yes, I do. I have not really made my stylist offerings public yet. So but never I've... mind, retract the statement. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, like I do have a styling client I'm meeting with in New Orleans tomorrow. Uh, it's something I've been offering privately just to friends and family for a while now. I do want to make it something that I formally offer to the public. But once I have more of just like a grip on things in general with Salibi, and that's kind of like running itself more or less, then right. I want to be able to like put a lot of my focus into the styling side and incorporating that in. So for now, it's just kind of like by request, a couple one-offs here and there. But um, I'm working to develop it into like a much more serious part of the business. Right, because is there, is there a big, and I'm sure there's a big market for it, but is there a big base of stylists, personal stylists in Baton Rouge? I know of a handful like, literally, I think I could count them off on my hand. There was one who I shadowed before, a very nice lady. It was years ago. Um, I sadly don't remember her name. But she was really cool, and we cleaned out a really big closet together. Um, but No, no, there's not a lot in Baton Rouge. But I think that really anyone could use a stylist. And a lot of people may think, like, oh, my gosh, it's only for celebrities. And, you know, I'm not going to any red carpet events, but... Yeah, it could be something as simple as I just graduated from college and got my first job and I I need an overhaul of like what to wear because I'm not wearing like going out to Tigerland party clothes anymore. I need businesswoman clothes and I'm clueless on what to do. Like that's something that I've helped people with is transitioning to like more professional wardrobes or, you know, maybe you just had a baby or lost a bunch of weight and you need to revamp your wardrobe. And even if you just plain all like don't have fashion sense and you know that and you're not scared to admit it like i'm clueless i don't know what to wear please come look through my closet and like make some outfits for me or tell me what pieces are missing help me build a capsule wardrobe you know like a dozen or two good pieces that you can mix and match that are never going to go out of style and you know things that'll last you a long time it's 
it's all things I can help you with and things that I do plan on being able to offer publicly is like a you know full-on package to help with that and you know there's event styling too wedding styling I, I don't I haven't touched the bridal market yet, but, you know, it's something I'm looking into. Yeah, I mean, all those markets are available. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got a, a friend of mine. He was he was asking, do you know of any stylists that style men in Baton Rouge? I was like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know of anybody that does that. I did read in either in register or 225 that there's some guy in Baton Rouge who does custom men's suits and did one for this cartel affiliated yes, guy. Yes, I saw that. So cool. I very thought they cool. looked very dapper. Yeah, it was. I saw the suits and I saw the, the style that he was making. And I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm so a, I don't I know might, if he's a stylist, but he has style. Oh, he's oh he for sure has <laughs> style. He knows what he's doing. And he knows how to make an excellent suit based on what I've seen. Do you have a suit from him? I don't. Would I you want, like a suit from him? I would. I kind of want one, too. <laughs> you want to go get fitted for suits together? <laughs> we're we're going to go get fitted for suits. Look, we'll... Look, we'll, bring, we'll I got this. We'll make a whole. I got it. We'll make, we'll make a day out of it. We'll film some good content. Make some TikToks. Mm-hmm. It'll be, it'll it'll be fun. Oh yeah. And we'll both walk away with good suits. I mean, I love a good suit. I don't know if he does skirt suits, but I mean, I'm not above some pants. I mean, the man's a legend in his craft. I'm sure we can we yeah. can figure something out. So you're starting to branch out Salibia and get it to that point where it is is it starting to run itself at all like do you have employees or where are we I at in this have process an assistant who helps me out with um kind of like sorting through my infantry and my storage unit and helping me out with markets so shout out to Erica if you're watching this she's been great um, and I would like to hire maybe an intern because I feel like I do have a lot of very valuable and useful things that like I wish I could have shared with myself five years ago or eight years ago, whether I was in high school or college, like it just helps to have someone who's been there before you show you the way. And with the secondhand market growing, I think it would be like beneficial for someone to like hop in and learn. But I mean, I do definitely want some more people on my team. I'm just waiting to, for a point where I can afford it, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, employees are expensive. I mean, you can link up with LSU Design School and offer an internship in exchange for credits. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've thought about doing that, but I think it's a little late in the semester, so maybe for fall. You know, yeah. I'll hit them up in the hit summer. Up, see start start the application process now, get it all approved by the board and everything, and then hit them up for the fall. Yeah, yeah, something like that, or find a high schooler. Even it's like there you don't want to babysit for babysitting money. Like, come hang out with me and all my clothes. And <laughs> <laughs> Help me dress people. Yeah, yeah, you know, help me sew up some things and do some mending. But I think the biggest thing I've struggled with as a small business owner and doing what I'm doing in retail is the online aspect of it. Just the work that it takes to photograph it on a set and put it on the mannequin and have the right lighting and get all the angles and then go and edit all these photos online to make sure the lighting and the colors are coming out right and then doing the just like. By the time you're done with it, it's like, damn, I should be paid like $20 per item just for doing this. You know, like it is a lot of work. And I've been so busy doing everything else with like a lot of in-person sales and pop-ups and just like behind the scenes admin work. I haven't had the time that I would like to put more things on the website, photograph more things. But I am looking to work with um, a couple of different local photographers to get some photos done and 
you know, get real models instead of just a mannequin. Because I feel like you can really see the life in the clothes more when they're hanging on a real person. Oh, yeah. And you can see also how it, <clears throat> how they kind of fit and fall on that person. So definitely an online store is in the works. It is a huge, huge goal of mine. Like I have the Shopify, but there's only 12 things on it. Half of them sold at <laughs> pop-ups in person. Um, but it, it's coming. I, guess coming. I don't know when, but it will eventually because I do want to be able to reach more of a global market. Like I do love Baton Rouge and I do have customers and clients here. But, you know, I also have people who are living in like Washington State and in New York. And, you know, although they can just message me on Instagram and I can mail stuff, it would be nicer to have a website where they can just browse at their leisure instead of me just having to post things on Instagram stories. Yeah, it makes the business itself run a little smoother. Mm hmm. And then at that point, you know, if I could hire someone to mail out packages while I'm out of town. But, you know, it's all in the five-year plan. <laughs> uh, hey, that is a very strong five-year plan. I think it's definitely achievable. Yeah. My goal is by the time I turn 30, I want to be driving around in a little Porsche Boxster. So I need some success to come my way. I have a lot of hard work to do. <laughs> I think I can. We can probably find an old, an old por, uh, Porsche. Oh yeah, and I want a stick to shift too. It. So I mean, I've been Thank looking you. at the prices. Thank you. You can get like a nice early two thousands Porsche Boxster for under twenty k. And I mean, granted, it's like the maintenance. You need to have another twenty k in the bank. Just yeah, that, yeah. Porsches are not. They're not cheap to maintain. No, they're high maintenance. Yes. You got, and it helps if you learn to do a lot of the work yourself, which I don't really plan on doing. But luckily, my partner is an engineer, so he can learn how to work on the Porsche. That's that's perfect. Look, in exchange, I, I'll let him drive it. <laughs> there, you, look. That's I think that's a that's a good exchange. That's mm -hmm. a good that's a good trade off. Look, my my first vehicle didn't run and drive whenever I was given it by my dad. I say given it loosely because it was in the back pasture, and he said, "Oh yeah, if you want it, it's yours. It doesn't run and doesn't drive, but if you fix it, it's yours." Yeah. So I was given a project, and I was like, love it. So I now have a passion for cars and Jeeps, and that's a whole different story. But as we start to wrap up the show, we've got four final questions we'd like to ask every guest. The first one is, what are three lessons you've learned along the way in your journey? Okay, I've learned to pivot because yes. no matter what you think your plan is, I feel like there's always a curveball that comes in. And if you freak out and think of it as like it has to be this or this, you're going to go crazy. You just got to pivot and roll with the punches. And especially during COVID, I feel like everyone's been learning how to pivot, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I guess my second lesson would be like, not to give up on yourself because there have been some times where I was like, oh, my gosh, I made a huge mistake. I can't do this. I'm not cut out for it. I have no idea what I'm doing. And even in the times where I, like, gave up on myself, luckily I had a great support system of people around me saying, like, no, keep going. You've got this. Don't be a dumb bitch. Like you work too hard for this. And and it, you know, okay. I'm I'm back to believing in myself. And so don't don't give up because you're your hardest critic. So if you think you're at a place where you have to give up, I mean that probably just means that you have to pivot and everyone around you, they don't see you as being at that point. That's just you being your toughest critic. And I think the third thing I've learned is to have fun and be authentic with it. Like people can tell if you're trying too hard or like if you're fronting and like putting up, you know, like just not being authentic to yourself. I feel like people can really tell. And so that's one thing I've strived to do is like, okay, even if it seems a little like kooky or isn't like professional, this is what I'm going to do or this is what I'm posting. And, you know, this is the idea I'm running with. And 
so far it's paid off, you know, like fitting into my own mold and being true to myself and not trying to put myself in some little box that I think that the world has created for me because it's not true. There's no box. Nobody has a box. Yeah. You get to create. World's not making boxes. No. You get to create whatever shape you want Mm -hmm. and make it your own. So what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? I thought about this long and hard. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking like, oh, you know, climbing trees. I'm like, I could still do that. It's like, yeah, singing loudly, hanging out with So many things that I did as a kid I could still do. But the one thing I thought of that I haven't done as an adult, maybe you can, I don't know, but going to summer camp. I loved camp as a kid. Any camp there was, I was signed up for. I was doing photography camp, science camp, sewing camp. Not really like sleep away going out in the woods camp because I I prefer air-conditioned camp. But I just, I loved going to camp and learning new skills. And I feel like that's not something that grown-ups do. What if we make like an entrepreneurship camp? That could be fun. Like a summer entrepreneurship camp? If there's like different colored markers involved, I'm in. Yeah. We can make that. Yeah, yeah. I've that's, been looking that's into easy doing, do. um, I guess, not really a camp, but like beading and embroidery classes in, uh, where was it, in San Diego or something. But it's in March, and I just don't think I'm going to like have time to take two weeks off to take a beading camp. I was about to say, March. I mean, if you're living in your, if you're living in the van life <laughs> and you drive it up there, you can feel like you're in a camp. Yeah, for yeah. two weeks. Yeah, but um, no, that's it. I just want to go to summer camp. I want to like learn new skills and have fun, but. You know, who has time to go to, like, a 9-to-5 for funsies camp? <laughs> <laughs> Not anyone that I know. So what is something, I mean, you've you've basically been all around the world at this point, shopping and sourcing mm-hmm. luxury clothing, luxury fashion items, and you've got this background of fashion school in New York. I mean, what do you love about Baton Rouge? What has kept you here? Honestly, the people, the food, the culture, it is something that no matter what corner of the world and how far I've traveled, I have not found a single other place that does it the way we do down here. And, you know, maybe it's just part of, like, being in the comfort of home and being in my stomping grounds where, like, you know, I could navigate without a map and get around blindfold if I had to. But I I think it just really comes down to the people and the culture. And I think it's a shame that so many people our age don't see it that way. Like it took me leaving Baton Rouge and seeing every other part of the world just to come back here and appreciate it for what it is. And it it saddens me that a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to leave. And like, that's totally fine. Everyone should get out and spread their wings, but not because Baton Rouge is such a bad place, but like go out and have that experience. And it, it's almost like if you love it and you let it go and it comes back, it's meant to be, Yeah. you know? So like you can go out and have those experiences, but don't act like it's because, oh, Baton Rouge is such like a horrible, terrible place. Like I've been to some horrible, terrible places <laughs> and I've been to some great places. And you know what? I will stand beside my decision that Baton Rouge is one of them. It's a great place. I love that. That's a, Excellent answer. So for the final question, what can I do to help you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, what can you do to help me? This is the one I didn't think of an answer to. But what, do you need, just, what do you need help with? Let me phrase the question. What do you need help with? Um, I guess just getting the word out that we're here because I feel like 
a lot of people would be interested in Salibi if they knew it existed. So I'm still just trying to get people to know who we are, who I am, what we offer, because we are still just like a little itty bitty baby Baton Rouge business, you know, like we're still in our infancy and that's cute. Like we're a cute little baby, but it would be nice to to broaden our horizons and like get some more support from others and from the community and just be more involved is what I really want to do is ingrain myself a little bit deeper with the Baton Rouge community because that's how much I like it here. I want to be more involved in it. Well, so if you can point me in any direction to get more involved, the Baton Rouge community, I mean, that'd be great. Well, that I will, I will definitely do what I can on that front. So now I feel like I've been gone for so long. I'm a little out of it. <laughs> you, you like, like you said, when you go back to New York, you just fit right back in. Same thing with Baton Rouge. You come back in, get brought up to speed and everything is just like it was. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I did not mention before I leave, I have to pay some honor to this suit. For anyone wondering, it is a 1991 fall-winter Versace runway suit. And it is currently for sale via Salibi. So if you like what you see, hit me up. Slide into my Instagram DMs. She is for <laughs> sale. The suit, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> so, yeah, if, you, so if you're listening to the show, uh, check out the show notes. We're going to link up her website and her social media within there so you can go check it out and see what the outfit looks like. And also, you're going to see it in the cover photo. So it's not like you're not going to know what she's talking about up until this point. So thank you all so very much for listening to the show. Thank you to Emily for being our lovely guest, telling us and educating us a little bit about what she's doing with Salibi. She's doing some great things. If you're in the local community in Baton Rouge, you're looking for a place to get either fit, outfit, or just maybe get some fashion sense in your game, go check her out and tell her that the Patty G Show sent you. You heard about her here, you saw her, and you just had to know more. Go check her out. She'll be sure to take good care of you. And y'all, big thanks to those making this show possible. That is our good friends over at Government Taco. I was just there today for a meeting and let me tell you, their taco of the month never disappoints. They have a new one each and every month. If you're in the government Jefferson area and you're looking for some lunch, or maybe you're not, you want to make a drive, totally worth it. Go over there, check out their latest taco of the month. This month is a boudin taco for the month of January. It is to die for. And also a big thanks to Falai Focus Studios, where we host this show now, coming to you every single Tuesday of the year. We are excited for the upcoming shows and the upcoming guest. And y'all, this has been episode two of season four of the Patty G Show here with Emily Underhill of Salibi. Thank y'all so very much, and we'll see y'all on the next one.